Hi there. Welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. The following sermon was recorded at one of our regular Sunday services. I hope you find it encouraging and it draws you closer to God. Enjoy. This morning's reading is from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 16 to 29. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they call on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. The end. Amen. Just a little uh, update. So, yeah, it is um, New South Wales has gone into lockdown, which is not much fun for them. Um... Whereas here in WA, 
uh, as of a couple of days ago, we are back to 100%. So remember last week I said, oh, for worship we're at 100%, for hospitality we're at 75%, for everything else we're at two square metres per person, all that's gone now, for now, hopefully. Um, so we're back at 100% for everything, which is really great. But COVID hasn't been good for everyone. Uh, this is Pastor Todd Dunn of Texas. He said, I'm not wearing a mask around my family like the CDC requests, and we're travelling, so we'll take our chances. And to top it off, we're huggers, so here you go. There will be no social distancing at our church, faith over fear. A few weeks later, both of his parents were dead from COVID-19. This is Rick Wiles, a Christian talk show host. He said, folks, the death, angel may be, the death angel may be moving right now across the planet. This is the time to get right with God. The blood of Jesus will protect you. Do not fear. If you're living right for God, you've got no reason to fear this death angel. I'm not going to be vaccinated. I'm going to be one of the survivors. I'm going to survive the genocide. The only good thing that will come out of this is a lot of stupid people will be killed off. If the vaccine wipes out a lot of people, stupid people will have a better world. Well, he was admitted to hospital with COVID-19, uh, which then developed into pneumonia. So did his daughter, so did many of his other family members um, and many of his fellow employees that work with him. And this last one is Bishop Gerald O'Glenn, a pastor in Virginia, who said, I firmly believe that God is bigger than the virus. I'm going to keep preaching unless I'm in jail or in hospital. Well, last week he died from COVID-19. His wife, his daughters, his son-in-law are also sick. And so, you know, that you have to ask yourself some questions when something like this happens. And you go, is God not stronger than a virus? Or maybe their faith wasn't strong enough? Or did they just have faith in the wrong thing? And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at the life of Elijah. You see, like those preachers, Elijah made some very bold statements too. He summoned 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to a showdown on Mount Carmel. Now, why did God honour Elijah's prayer, but he didn't honour the faith of these other pastors? Because I'm sure that these other pastors were great people. I believe they were walking with God. I believe they were very sincere, and they were seeking to serve him as best they could. But their faith was not rewarded. And Elijah's was. So what is the difference? Well, very simply, the difference is that Elijah's faith wasn't based on his own opinion. Elijah's faith was based on what God had actually said. You see, his faith was not just some general belief, oh, God's going to make everything okay. All I have to do is have faith and everything will be fine. And you and I both know that's not how life works. You know, none of us here would stand and say, oh, my life is 100% perfect. I have all the money I need. 
I have all the possessions I want. I have all the time in the world to do everything I want to do. I never get sick because I have faith. Now, you and I know that that's not the way the world works. Elijah based his faith on the actual words of God. And that's the difference between faith and presumption. You know, there are many people who reject Christianity because we say that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In rejecting that claim, people say, you don't have to have faith in Jesus. You just have to have faith. You know, you just have to be sincere. You know, all roads eventually lead to God anyway. You just have to believe in something. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that our faith has to be grounded in the right thing. Hebrews tells us that faith is the confidence in what we are hoping for. It is assurance about what we do not see and it is based upon what God's word has said. It's not just a general faith that everything will be fine if we believe enough. You see, I can have faith that I can walk across the road here in Flinders Street with my eyes closed and I'll be perfectly fine. I can have faith in that, but the odds are I'm going to get hit by a car. I can have faith that I can run around in these two-degree mornings in the rain without a shirt on, and I'll be fine. I can have all the faith in the world that that's going to be fine, but I guarantee you I'm going to get a cold. We need something real to put our faith in. Our faith needs a basis. And as Elijah learned, as all the great people in Scripture learned, We put our faith in what God tells us because God has proven again and again how faithful he is. I mean, here's just a a smattering of verses that talk about it. Uh, We read, Yahweh, your God is God. He is the faithful God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. We have a faithful God. And see, that is the difference between faith and presumption. Presumption is assuming that God will do whatever I believe. Faith is knowing that God will do whatever he says. So it's not our faith that's actually the key here. It is the one in whom we place our faith. Our faith needs to be based not just on what we would like to be, but on what God has actually said will be. And that's the difference between Ahab's prophets, the prophets of Baal, and Elijah himself. You see, King Ahab and his prophets had faith that Baal, their god of the weather, their god of fertility, would give them rain and food. They had faith in that. 
Baal hadn't said that. Baal was a dumb idol. Baal had never actually spoken. And what had, what had Elijah done? Elijah had gone and said, well, my God has told us there will be no rain. And for the next three years, there was no rain. Their faith was not centered on a faithful God, but on a useful idol. But Elijah had been given direct instructions from God. And since Elijah had learned that he could trust God's word absolutely, he had no hesitation in challenging these false prophets. So let's have a look at which of these, pro which of these prophets, the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, or the one prophet of Yahweh? Which one was correct? Now, before we go on with our story... Um, I've already introduced you to a bunch of Auslan words. Now I'm going to introduce you to a bunch of Hebrew words. So, sorry about this, guys. Sorry. The first one is El. El, that's just the basic Hebrew word for God. Uh, sometimes you might see the word Elohim. That's just plural. That's just the word plural. Uh, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, God, although he is, they use pronouns and they say he is God, they often actually use the plural word, Elohim, that describes the plurality of God, which as we know is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And of course, uh, you've probably seen the word Israel, or as it would have been pronounced back then, Israel. It simply means the house of, or God rules. God rules, this is the house of God. Uh, and so you'll recall that the, uh, one of the early fathers, Jacob, had his name renamed to Israel. And then all the people that came after him were called the Israelites. The next word we have up there is Baal. And you see the Al is very close to the El. Uh, it's, a, it's a local name that, again, simply means God or Lord. And there were many Baals. You know, there was Baal Bereth, Baal Zebub. Uh, the version Ahab worship was called Baal Melkart. So there was plenty of them. And then we have our wonderful evil queen. You always got to have a real bad guy in the story. And her name was Jezebel. It's interesting, the, um, her, her name actually means, where is Baal? Yet the Hebrews renamed her, they called her Jezebel, which in Hebrew means dung, you know, manure. Right? She's a pile of poo. But her actual name was Jezebel. Where is Baal? And then you have the word that God introduced himself as uh, in the Hebrew, Yahweh, sometimes called Jehovah. It simply means, I am who I am. And the word Yah is often used in parts of names. And so you have prophets like Elijah, Obadiah, Jeremiah, 
they're all variations that, that mean something about our God Yahweh. And of course, Elijah himself, basically you see it says there, El is Yah. In other words, Yahweh is God. God is Yahweh. That's what his name means. So, what do you need to remember about all of those? You only need to remember two words really in particular. Jezebel, where is Baal? And Elijah, God is Yahweh. So keep those two words in particular in mind because for the rest of this morning, I simply want to tell you the story. I just want to tell you the story about what happened to Elijah uh, and I hope you'll find it exciting and uplifting. So we'll pick it up uh, in verse 20 that Ahab sent word to get all the, the prophets to come and assemble on Mount Carmel. And so Elijah tells them, look, here's a simple, simple challenge. We're both going to set up an, idol, uh, set up an altar. On that altar, we're going to get a cow, we're going to place it on the altar, and then we're going to pray, and whichever God brings down the fire is the true God. That's a fairly good challenge, isn't it? Very, very simple. One's right, one's wrong. So we start from verse 25. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. So in other words, Elijah says, you go first. You pick the bull. It's up to you. You pick the best one, whichever one suits you. You pick the altar, you go first. And so they do. He says, call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull, they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they'd made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. So they've been going for a couple of hours now, and Elijah starts going, shout louder! Surely he's a god. Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's busy or he's traveling. Perhaps he's sleeping and you need to shout louder to wake him up. See, basically what Elijah is saying here is, where's Baal? Jezebel. I'm not sure the queen liked her name being used like this. Jezebel. Maybe he's asleep. Jezebel, maybe he's gone travelling somewhere. He's taunting them. So they shouted louder and they began to slash themselves with their swords and spears until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention where is Baal he's not answering there's something wrong here at first Jezebel might have thought oh he's using my name and that might have sounded good but after several hours of that it must have started to grate on her a bit and um, there was no response no one's listening because nobody was there the prophets called out for hours but, you know, Baal had as much chance of answering 
as this little bit of technology does. I can pray to it all I want. I can be sincere. I can offer it sacrifices. I can slash myself and pour my blood on it. I'm not going to get an answer out of it because it is just a dumb object. So now it's Elijah's turn. Now, Elijah wouldn't use the altar of Baal. Instead, he wanted to use the altar that had been set up for God of Israel, for Yahweh. Uh, And it had been pulled apart. It was in pieces. And so he took the time to take the stones and put it back together, rebuilding that altar. So Elijah said to the people, come here to me. And they came to him. He repaired the altar of Yahweh that had been took down. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. So he got 12 big stones, and they're just sitting there watching him as he took one stone for each of the tribes of Israel. Then once he did that, he dug a trench, dug a trench all around it, large enough to hold, I don't even know what two seers of seed is, it's supposedly a lot of seed, but it's a trench all the way around the altar. He got the wood, put the wood on top of the altar. He got the bull, cut it into 12 pieces, put that on top of the wood. Then he said to them, right, I want you to now go and find four large jars of water and pour it on the offering in the wood. So they did. They went and got these jars of water and they poured it on the offering. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. Water was running all down the altar until it actually even filled the trench around it. You see, Elijah is very, very careful here. He doesn't want the people to look at him as though he's the miracle worker or he's using some kind of magic trick to make this happen. There are hundreds of prophets and probably thousands of people around all watching him. They can see everything he does. And they can see that he hasn't got, you know, hasn't got a flint you know, handy that he can kind of quickly light the fire when no one's looking. I mean, no one could do that because the thing is completely soaked in water. He wants the people to know that God can overcome all obstacles. If Yahweh says he's going to burn that offering, it doesn't matter if it's covered in water or not. It'll happen because he said it. So they can see he's not using any trickery. He can see that this thing is filled with water and they're watching him. And God turns up. This is what happens next. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Now, I love the fact that the prophets of Baal had been there. I don't know how early they started. Let's say they started at nine o'clock in the morning and they kept going right through to the evening. They spent all day screaming and calling out and slashing themselves doing all sorts of things and got nowhere elijah's entire prayer lasts about 30 seconds you know god doesn't need anything fancy 
God doesn't need us to do any particular rituals. He doesn't need us to wave our hands. He doesn't need us to go and slash ourselves. He simply says, God, I want them to know that you are God in Israel and that everything I'm doing is because you told me. Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me so these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil itself, even the water in the trench. Everything was gone. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine this, you know, this bolt of lightning or whatever coming down and just kaboom until there is nothing left? After hours and hours and begging for Baal to do something, Elijah just says, you show yourself, God. And God goes, wham! The one true God is powerful. He does exactly what Elijah said he would do. Not because Elijah came up with a great idea. Not because Elijah had some sort of faith that was, you know, so mighty or whatever. But because God had told Elijah he would do this. And God is faithful. Elijah knew that. If God says it, it is true. And the people finally realized it too. Because in verse 39 we read, when all the people saw this, they pr fell prostrate and cried, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Now, how do you say that in Hebrew? Eliah. Can you imagine Elijah standing there and thousands of people are going, Eliah, Eliah, God is Yah. Can you imagine how that must have felt? Can you imagine the power of that moment? God is Yahweh. I can't imagine what that would have been like. Um, I get someone call out amen and I go, oh, I'm not used to that. I don't get thousands of people shouting my name. <laughs> but Elijah knew that they weren't shouting for him. They were shouting for his God. And that's what he wanted. All this came about because of faith. Not just a a generic self-belief not just a vague faith that whatever I think is should happen will happen it's a faith that is based on a firm foundation you see God had told Elijah what would happen and Elijah took God at his word that is the definition of faith that's all it is Hebrews says faith is being confident in what we hope for and being assured about what we don't yet see. Elijah had confidence that God would do what he promised. He was sure that he would see God act in exactly the way he said he would. So what have we done this morning? Well, we've looked at a couple of Hebrew words and we've told a story. But I hope in doing that, We've learned what faith is. 
It's a powerful story. It's a story that cemented Elijah's reputation as Israel's greater prophet. The people of Israel still talk about Elijah thousands of years later, all because he believed God. We are called to be people of faith because we serve a faithful God. Faith isn't um, a strong feeling or wishful thinking. Faith isn't presuming something we want and expecting God, you know, hey God, come along and do what I want. Do you want to do great things for God like Elijah did? Well, step one is to immerse yourself in God's word. That's it. That's the simplest. You just read God's word. Listen to what God says. And then believe that God will do what he says. Don't just wish for something and hope that God will make it happen. But listen to what God is actually saying. And take him at his word. And that is the definition of faith. Let's pray. Our wonderful, faithful God, we praise you because you are indeed a God of faithfulness. Lord, you are a God who has proven again and again that you are faithful to your word. Lord, all the stories we read in the Old Testament about guys like Elijah and Moses and, and, and every single one of them, they're not so much about those guys but about what a wonderful, faithful God you are. That when you speak you act. When you say you will do something, you do it. And so that's what we want, Lord. We want our, our lives to be filled with faith. We want to know what you have to say from your word and then we just want to act on that. We want to take you at your word, Lord. So, Lord, forgive us when we are fearful, when we doubt, or when we, when we try and push you to do what we want you to do. Lord, help us instead to discern what you want to do and then have the faith to go ahead and act on it because you are a faithful God. Lord, and the greatest, the greatest promise that you've given us is that everyone who turns to you will be saved. Lord, help that to be our message to the friends and family that we meet. Not that our life is perfect or that we get everything we want because we believe, but we get the most important thing because we believe. We get a relationship with you. We get to be saved and look forward to an eternity with you because that's what you've promised and we know you are faithful. So we surrender our lives to you in the precious name of our Saviour Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. An extra thanks to those who have generously donated to our ministry. You can find more sermon recordings or videos on our website, yokinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. God bless you.